0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Try to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up, center, Perry! <laughs> <Stoops>! <laughs>
1: Corey Perry! Well, you're able to shake away from Salon. It's giving away to Solani! All right, we are back with another edition of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. However, we have a special guest here. We have Coach Zach Gray from Anaheim Ducks Fan Reaction. How are you doing, Zach?
0: Doing good. Glad to be a part of this. Thank you for uh, the invite and uh, excited. No worries, no worries. So, uh,
1: a couple pregame notes to hit on. Not too much today. Uh, Kevin Boyle got sent down to the AHL. No surprise there. John Gibson coming back from the flu uh for Sherwood bumping up to the shutdown line and uh Silverberg was going up to, to play with Adam Henrique uh obviously John Gibson in that and then Timo Solani with the c- ceremonial puck drop anytime he gets anywhere close to Honda Center uh people go nuts I heard he was chauffeuring people around uh at the beginning of the game that's what they said on the broadcast I mean that guy that guy will do anything pretty much yeah so let's uh, let's get into the first period here. So a little bit of actually not too much going on, really. There's good pressure by the top line that led to a chance by Ricardo Kelly through a little bit of a spin shot on net. Uh, Pedersen takes a penalty for tripping on Aberg. Interesting to see was Josh Mahura was getting some uh, power play time on the second unit. Uh, what do you think about them giving him a little bit of an opportunity to shine? Because that's kind of been his bread and butter throughout junior and in the AHL. And now he's getting some power play time on the second unit.
0: <clears throat> uh, I think it's, it's good for him. I think it's good for him to get some extra playing time because, I mean, in recent past where we kind of look at, you know, guys who are coming up through the system and guys who are relatively young, you know, they they just they don't get enough playing time. And then you know they go elsewhere, and then they tear it up. And so I'm I'm kind of glad that they're uh, they're giving him that extra playing time for sure. And he he looked good. He looked really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at who with the guys out right now with Fowler and Lindholm out. There's not a lot of options to really put on there. So I think it it's kind of a case of the fact that some guys are out of the lineup, and then just the fact that that's kind of what his style of game is modeled after. Uh, But after that, not much going on the power play, but it does lead to the first duck school of the game. Ricard Raquel and Andre Kasher kind of crash the crease. And then from there, it just pops out to Ryan Getzlaff, who makes a ridiculous move. I mean, we know Ryan Getzlaff has this in his arsenal, uh, but he pulls it between his legs. I'm not not sure if you saw it today, but, I mean, just uh, a ridiculous effort for him to do that and then put it on the backhand past uh, Jacob Markstrom.
0: Yeah, I mean, I a lot of the moves that he makes, I just kind of look back and I'm like, holy God. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a really nice play. And I mean, he just he read and reacts and just just a great player overall. And I, I really think he's probably one of the best guys on our team, you yeah. know, and I normally don't say that. <laughs> no, I mean, he has to be. He's
1: showing up pretty much all season. He's uh, just under, I think, a point per game with the two points tonight and, and pretty much As of late, everything has gone through that top line. They have, I believe, the last three goals for the Ducks. And and Ryan Getzlaff has been involved in pretty much all of them. So just a great start to the game for him. Um, You look at the rest of the period, not much going on. Vancouver came back with some pressure. They hit the crossbar. Silverberg goes all the way down the other side, and he hits the post. Uh, But that was pretty much it for the period surprisingly the shots were even the ducks don't really come out of too many periods where they're even in shots, no matter who they're facing. The one weird stat was the Canucks out hit the ducks 17 to one and, and the Canucks aren't a really big, heavy team, but I'm a little bit surprised by that.
0: Yeah. The thing that I noticed a lot was they were, even when they had the puck, they were skating through guys, even if they were standing in front of them. And I I love that by the Canucks. I, I thought that they're, aggressive style of play and I think you know what what, tra- what uh, Travis Green is doing over there he's doing a great job and enforcing that but the Ducks for some reason and I've noticed this this season and only this season is that we've kind of gone away from the physical style of play that we're so used to seeing all the time and it just kind of I don't know it just it we're just not that physical team and I think that's part of the reason why we re-signed Nick Ritchie was trying to bring that back but it just I don't know It's just, I'm not seeing it as much as I used to.
1: Yeah. It's kind of escaped them. And I mean, the Canucks have some heavy hitters for sure. Antoine Roussel is a guy who'll throw the body around. He's third in the league in penalty minutes, but that is something I don't think we're used to seeing. Like you said, especially such a margin. I mean, 17 to one, the fact that ducks got through an entire period and only managed one hit um, is a bit surprising. Uh, But it, it, looking at who did well in that period, the Ducks led in scoring chances 9-4. to four. I think they probably deserved a little bit better of an outcome, even though they they obviously came out with the lead. But it looked like they probably could have been leading at least 2 nothing or 3 nothing based on the chances they had. And not surprising was the top line was on the ice for five of those nine scoring chances. I think it's been what we they've been missing all season. It, it's Getzlaff and Raquel haven't really been able to get things going. And then Andre Kasher comes back. You plug him in on that line, and he's like a spark plug, and he gets things going.
0: Yeah, and you know, that's that's the one thing I, I love seeing out of him. And um I wasn't quite sure when he first came back and they announced that he was ready to come back because I remember when they just announced it and we had no word and they're like, Oh yeah, he's just coming back. And I was kind of worried that those concussion symptoms would really affect him. But, you know, they they haven't. He he still looks like a he's just a speedster out there. And when he gets the puck, he he knows what to do with it and yeah, he's he's a damn good player.
1: He has a whole different dynamic, I think, to the Ducks offense because he brings that speed and he's so direct. And he's probably really the only other player other than Ricard Raquel who's willing to challenge guys on pretty much every play. Uh, and, And then again, he utilizes that speed, I think, to get it going. So it's been nice to see that line get going. They had some good chances to start the second period, too. Raquel had a good chance on the back door, but Markstrom recovered pretty well to end up making the save. Um, however, the Ducks right after that, this has kind of been the story of the game, a little bit of back-and-forth action, where the Ducks turn over the leads to a good chance by Adam Gondette, and then Gibson again has to make a save after he gives up the rebound. So Gibson keeping the Ducks in it, but unfortunately, kind of a fluky play here, where Sam Gagne gets the puck off the face-off, he finds Derek Pouliot, who somehow he sneaks down to the back post. I'm not who, sure who the defender was on that play, but you literally watch Derek Pulia skate right by him to the open side of the ice and throws it in the empty net.
0: Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of that goal that Kevin Fiala scored against the Predator, when we played the Predators that time. He just threw the puck on net and, you know, there was somebody on the back door, but it it was one of those goals even when they scored, they were surprised. Yeah. And, you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't know how it happened. I just They just kind of just said, oh, it's in the net. And I, I couldn't see it from that angle until they showed the replay. But, yeah, I mean, you throw the puck on net, good things happen, I guess.
1: <clears throat> yeah, really. I mean, that was Sam Gagne's first point of the season. Derek Pouliot's second goal, so that's not really the combination you expect. No. Um, the, the Ducks get a power play after that. And the one thing I've noticed as of late from their power play is the setup is there usually. They had a really bad one in the first, but they can get the setup, but it's all perimeter passes. There's not a lot of quick passes across the crease or to dangerous positions. It's just from D to D or down low to gets off on the boards or down behind the net. There's really no decisive pass that's going to put you in a dangerous scoring position.
0: Right, and, you know, th- I think this all go- comes back to, you know, the Ducks, again, they, they pass from the perimeter and they pass all the way from the outside instead of, you know, executing those passes and then slowly closing in on them and collapsing on them and that's been a big issue with our power play is that we keep getting shots from the outside but then there's nobody crashing the net and then we're not making those quick passes all the way to the left side or even the right side and then hitting somebody back door and it's just been an ongoing issue and I've been seeing it since 2013 (laughs) it's just the same thing over and over again and I, I don't understand like sometimes they make those quick execution plays and it looks beautiful, but then other times I'm like, what the hell's going on? So,
1: Yeah, it's a—it's like they flick a switch sometimes. You look at the the power first power play they had in the game, couldn't get anything going. I think Raquel had the only clean zone entry for that entire power play. Then you right. get these mediocre ones where they can set up and have perimeter passes. And then I think we've probably seen maybe two or three times this season where they actually have a really good power play where they make that cross-ice pass. And it's in the back of the net. I think the only ones I've seen were in the back of the net where the goaltenders made a ridiculous save. The one I remember most is Pontus Abra getting a cross-crease where does not one-timer, but then he throws it in over the netminder. And I believe Ricard Raquel had another chance where he threw it into an open net off a cross-ice pass. Vancouver, the last few games, that's how they made their money on the power play by a cross-ice pass to Elias Pettersson for a one-timer. And the Ducks just don't really seem to have that trigger, man.
0: No, they don't. And I... I and this is where I say, you know, I, I see, you know, Getzloff could be that guy, you know, he's got one of the best shots. I mean, I, I'm going to say this and uh, I normally don't say this, but in the league, I mean, he's yeah. got a really nice shot and if they put him on the back door. I, you know, I, I don't see how that puck cannot go in, but um, you know, I, I just, I wish we had that setup guy on the far side, kind of like what I always call it is the, the OB spot. Yeah. You know, it's right there and just buries it home. But for some reason, just this team just doesn't have it. They tried Raquel over there a few times and it's worked out. But I mean, we need some, some guy over there that's just going to bury it.
1: <clears throat> yeah. And, and it doesn't really seem like anybody's been capable of that in the lineup now. Uh, but if we're, we're moving on in the second period, you, you mentioned this before we started the podcast today. Jakob Silverberg has been snake bitten the last few games and he gets a glorious chance twice in front of the net, alone on Jacob Markstrom. Kessler finds him, like, literally two feet in front of Jacob Markstrom by himself, gets one shot off, glove saved by Markstrom, there's a rebound saved by him, too. I mean, what more can this guy do? He's he's in within inches.
0: I don't know. I I mean, if it's... Changing his stick curve or whatever it is—I mean, I—I I, I don't know anymore with with him because he's had numerous chances, even when he's on a on a breakaway or he's going one on one with somebody, and he just he completely misses over—he misses the 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 net completely—and I just don't get it. And then like tonight, he shot it directly at him, and I'm like, I just—I I don't get it. I don't get it at all. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, they didn't score there, but like literally, I think, 20 seconds later, Andre Kasha. Somehow, this one goes in. Silverberg can't score a couple feet in front of the net. Kasha fires it literally, I think, right through Markstrom. Uh, Again, Kasha's been on fire. Putting him on the power play, I think, is a great thing, just the way he's been playing, the way he's been generating chances. And another big thing on this play is Josh Mahura, pays off putting him on the power play because he gets his first NHL point as well.
0: Yeah, that was huge. And, you know, seeing, uh, you know, uh, Kase uh, get that goal, and I think it went right through um, the stick side on yeah. on, uh, on the Vancouver goalie. And, I mean, it was just a great play and, and seeing him, you know, Mahura get his, uh, you know, first NHL point. And, you know, I've always said this, you know, you give those guys opportunities, especially in this time, where we have so many injuries and they're just piling up and you give those guys opportunities and they're going to get, it's kind of like the same situation in Toronto with Kasperi Kapanen. You know, he's one of those guys where they, you know, with Austin Matthews being out, you know, he's getting ice time. But with this kid, I mean, it's, it's so far, it's looking really good.
1: Yeah, and I think he is the only guy who's probably risen to the task. I know this was on the power play, but to be on that line with Ryan Getzlaff this season, we've seen a lot of guys. Troy Terry floundered on that top line. He couldn't get anything going. Nick Ritchie was up there at a a certain point as well. Uh, They really had the carousel, and finally they found somebody to not only go with Ryan Getzlaff, but to get something going from Ricard Raquel, because I think if you look at the last three games, Arguably, the three best Ducks forward, even the two best Ducks forwards, were Raquel and Cash, and Getzloff's right behind them.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing about Raquel is that, you know, when he gets the puck, he knows exactly what to do with it. Same thing with Kase, and Getzloff, you know, sets those guys up. And I've always said Getzloff's a great setup man. And, uh, I mean, just those three together, I think that should be, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it should be the top line, without question. So. Yeah, I don't think there's anybody who can really take that from them at this yeah, point. Uh,
1: so the, the Ducks actually, gets off takes a penalty for hooking. The one thing I noticed, especially with all the guys out of the lineup on the Vancouver power play, is with Elias Pedersen scoring back-to-back games with power play goals, that was the Ducks' central focus and probably the only avenue that the Canucks had at all because they just were forcing that play continually on every power play they had. I, I, I want to give some credit to the Ducks' power play, but when a team is literally forcing that only play, it, it's hard not to really do a good job on the PK. Yeah,
0: because it's too predictable at that point. It's it's way too predictable. And uh, I, I just, it, I, I, as I was watching it, I mean, you could just call it as you're watching it on TV. I mean, exactly where they're yeah. going to move for move and, yeah, um, and I know the Canucks right now, I think they're the third most penal- penalized team in the league, I yeah. think. Yeah, so, but, yeah, their power play, Ugh, oh, my God.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it lives and dies with Elias Pettersson. Last part of the second period is something I think everybody is used to seeing. Andrew Cogliano gets a breakaway, Probably. and he doesn't score. <laughs> and he has two chances because he has a chance on the rebound, and he doesn't score. I mean if this guy could just finish, this is a carbon copy of a conversation we had on the last podcast where he also had a breakaway that he would probably be a consistent 20 goal scorer if he could just convert on even half of those breakaways.
0: Yeah, and I, I think it's it's the fact that he, you know, I get it as, you know, as a hockey player, I mean you got to keep it simple, but with him it's there's no finish. Yeah. And, you know, he comes up with a ton of speed. He's a, he's got great hands, but for some reason he just, he either goes five hole or he just shoots it as hard as he can right in the midsection of the goalie. And I mean, if I was him, I'd be talking to Timu and just being like, Hey, what can I do? Forehand backhand, man. Like, <laughs> anybody
1: it. just talk he to try, anybody.
0: Talk something.
1: <laughs> he tries the same thing. It's like he could, he either goes forehand backhand or backhand to his forehand. And he just throws it either into the goalie, or he throws it wide or into the pads. This was probably the best chance he had, like the closest he's come to scoring in a while, because Markstrom does just get a piece of it. But then he gets a rebound, it still doesn't elevate and throws it right into the pads. I mean, I, I don't have enough experience watching other teams, but Coglano has to be probably one of the worst finishers who gets some of the best chances. I mean, it's just it's comical at times.
0: It's weird, because the amount of times I've watched him practice... Um, it, I swear, anytime he's on a breakaway, even when he played in the, I know you're in Canada, but um, when he played in the Fedoran Cup for the charity yeah. for uh, the Anaheim Ducks and everything. And it just, he finishes there. But for some reason in NHL games, <laughs> it's like he just cannot finish. I, I don't know. It's what, the pressure. <laughs> it, I, I guess it is. But I mean, there's times where I see him and then he does finish and I'm like, okay, well, where where was this, you know, three, four games ago? But it seems like he's getting a breakaway almost every other game or every other couple of games. And God, he, he definitely would be a 20-plus goal scorer if he would just bury those. But I, I sound like a broken record.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think we all do. But that, that actually ended the second period. Ducks were up 2-1, to one, out shooting Vancouver 24-21. to 21. The interesting thing, because I didn't see it during the game that I found out at the end of the second period, was I thought that Kessler would be matched up against the Elias Pettersson line, but he was actually matched up against Bo Horvat's line, and it was Adam Henrique who was doing a great job of shutting down what I would probably call the Canucks best line at up till that point, it was Patterson Erickson and Goldobin playing together. Those are probably three of the best or three of the four best Canucks players. If then, if you include Bo Horvat in that, and when we talked about this yesterday, um, that maybe because if you look at the last few games where Ryan Kessler has struggled against John Tavares and Nathan McKinnon, and yes, those are elite players, but, maybe you shift some of those responsibilities of being a shutdown line on Adam Henrique. And at to that point, he'd limited that line to one shot. So, I, I mean, it was a, a pretty good defensive effort from him up until that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, Adam Henrique really has kind of come to the calling, you know, of uh, stepping up in those key situations because I feel like with Kessler, I think ever since he's had his hip surgery and, and even towards when he came back too early, I think, he just – and I watch it the way he skates and the way that he takes his strides. And it's the same thing with Corey Perry where he just – he's not the same player he used to be. Yeah. And I think he knows that when he gets into those small, dirty areas. But Adam Henrique is young, you know, and he's he's shutting down a lot of really key guys. And I was watching Kessler try to stay with John Tavares, and it just wasn't happening. It just
1: – No. fortunately No. Then. They, they were on – the really far negative end of shot attempts for both the Toronto game and the Colorado game. And and I guess, you know, that is expected from a guy who is going to go up against some of the best players of, of opposing teams. And when you're going against, you know, the best line in the in the NHL against Colorado and arguably one of the better centers of John Tavares. But it shouldn't be that bad. And, oh, no. I get, you know, I, I have some sympathy for Ryan Kessler, of course. I don't think, of course, he's the same player he was. And, you know, we got asked, is he if, is he operating at 100%? I think this is 100% of what you're going to get from Ryan Kessler from now on, unfortunately. It, it might be time to shift the core defensive responsibilities on to um, Adam Henrique, and maybe let Ryan Kessler and company get a little bit of a better matchup, maybe pair him against the the second line, try and free up some space when you're at home for Ryan Getzlaff in the first line. It's something I don't see Randy Carlisle doing. I think he, they still want to try and get Adam Henrique a better matchup, but uh, I mean, it's just tough watching him out there right now. I really feel bad for the guy.
0: Yeah, me too because I remember the day we got him and, I mean, even when we played against him when he was in Vancouver, I hated when the Ducks played against him. But, I I mean, I get it when you get older, you know, your legs start to slow down and your body starts to think a little bit differently and, you know, play to a certain style of play. You know, Corey Perry's changed up his style of play for a, a, a lot of times, for a lot of years, you know, just trying to acclimate to the new NHL and I think Ryan Kessler's trying to, but... It's it's rough. It really is, and you know, I remember Ryan Kessler scoring so many goals for us at one time, and it just yeah. just isn't happening anymore. And I think Adam Henrique is is one of those guys, and I think it was probably one of the smartest signings Bob Murray ever did. Uh, you know, to send Sammy Vatn into New Jersey, and I think overall it's working out for us so far. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean,
1: obviously with the injuries right now, you could probably use Sammy Vatn, but long term, when everybody's healthy. I think it's invaluable. I mean, we didn't know that Ryan Kessler was going to suffer this injury, I think, when they acquired Adam Henry. You knew he was out, but you didn't know if he was going to be able to come back and be the same player. And now it just looks like such a great deal because the Ducks arguably have their top four in Fowler, Lindholm, Manson, and Montour. And now they've got a guy who is your second-line center because of what Ryan Kessler is giving you. But let's get... Uh, into the third period not much really happened for the first four minutes it kind of felt like the teams were feeling each other out a bit just seeing if anybody was a little bit tired or was gonna if the Ducks were gonna kind of sit back a little bit uh, but then Pouliot takes a delay of game penalty for covering the puck with this with his hand again good possession on the power play not a lot of solid chances a lot of perimeter passes but the Ducks actually score after the power play and somehow, I mean, we've been talking about him for the last couple minutes, Adam Henrique somehow finds a hole over Markstrom's shoulder, short side, and, uh, I mean, this was a great shot. I don't know if he meant it, but he picks the top corner.
0: No, he he most certainly picked that corner, and, you know, as I was watching him, uh, you know, step, you know, pull his weight back and pull it forward on his inside leg, I mean, that that was a snipe. I mean, he absolutely picked that corner, and I think he only had like this amount of space, it was very, very little. And I mean, it was, it was a great play. I mean, there was nobody in front of the net for the ducks, but I mean, he, he just, God, like as soon as I saw it, I mean, I just surprised the hell out of me.
1: That's one of those where you kind of make your own play in that sense. Cause Ryan Kessler, I believe, or not Ryan Kessler, uh, he, Henrik receives the pass. And again, he doesn't really have any play. There's no pass to make at that point. Again, you just throw the puck on that and hope something happens And he's got Ben Hutton's stick kind of right in that path. So to pick out that shot, the small hole over his shoulder, I mean, the broadcast thought it hit Markstrom in the helmet. That's how they just thought Henry got lucky. But this is the type of thing he can do on an an, an every now and then basis where he can pull this type of shot out or this type of ability. And we we saw how great his shot can be at times last season when he was picking corners on some guys. So this is the... Other side of Adam Henrique who talked about his defensive ability, but this is when he can chip in offensively. And that's why I think he's kind of taken over that role that Ryan Kessel used to have.
0: Yeah, I mean he's I mean he may he's a very aggressive player. And I mean, he reads and reacts to plays very, very well. He's a great two-way player, I would say. Um, definitely one of our our best. And I mean, he's great in the face off. And, you know, when it comes to stepping up in the key moments, I mean, that's the, that's, that's why we signed him right there. I mean, when I watched that play, I'm like, that's exactly why we got you, the, you know, in, in that uh, trade. So, but uh, no, I love it when guys just kind of take it upon themselves and they try to get it done and everything. And he's most certainly did. So
1: that goal kind of started off a flurry of what would be a three goal, almost, I think of over four minute period. So Jake Vertanen gets the next goal of the game for the Vancouver Canucks. This was, I think, the softest goal we've seen John Gibson let in all season. Uh, the way he's played, I guess you can give him one of these every now and then. Uh, yeah. But it's a, it's a tough, tough one for him. I'm sure he'd want it back. They they win the game, obviously, so it's not a big deal. But this is just a harmless shot from the corner. Uh, and it just kind of squeaks right through him.
0: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm giving him kind of a one-off on this one because yeah. you know he's bailed the ducks out in so many key situations and usually in the past like you know Gibson's been soft and but I gotta say I mean this one it just that uh, it just happens so yeah, yeah it happens to the best of
1: them I mean John Gibson yeah. doesn't let in too many of these so you, you can give him that pass every now and then doesn't end up hurting the ducks in the end so it's it's not uh, that big of a deal the ducks go back the other way Raquel gets a good chance uh, but Marksher sure makes a good saver and Raquel's really adept at kind of pulling the puck in and getting that quick shot off. He he seems to always have that ability to do that. He's one of a few Ducks, I think, that can do that. When Corey Perry's in the lineup, he's got those quick hands in tight where he can kind of make a shot out of nothing. Uh, Raquel, just seeing Raquel start to do that again and get that confidence, I think is huge for him because he's kind of been a sore spot for a lot of Ducks fans this year where he hasn't really uh, lived up to the expectations that we all had.
0: Yeah, I mean... Uh... I remember when when we first re-signed Raquel, and I remember that whole big thing with Raquel and then Hampus and all that. And yeah, I mean he's a great player, and you know I'm I'm glad that we got him re-signed and everything. But uh, he does all he does this really quick release where he just pulls it in from the toe all the way to the heel. And I'll tell you, I mean he he tries to catch a lot of players off guard, including the goalie. You know, and tries to use defensemen as a screen to drive to the net and everything. And I mean, he's just a great, great overall player. And I, you know, I've always said this, you know, I see him after Ryan Getzloff is gone. I could see him being, you know, one of our top guys, you know, alternate captain or maybe, hey, maybe team captain. I don't know. But, you know, yeah. I see him definitely as a leader.
1: For sure. I think just what he does on the ice on an everyday basis is already a little bit of a testament to that. Um, but now, I mean, Getzloff's line had scored. You had Henrique's line who scored. Why not add the fourth line in there who hadn't done too much all game, but it was nice to see them do this, and it wasn't really a fluke play. It's a great forecheck by Nick Ritchie to get a loose puck behind the net. He feeds it to Brian Gibbons, who picks up his first point as a duck, and feeds Cali Kosala, who gets his first goal of the season. Not the combo you really expect, but it's nice to see that secondary scoring coming through
0: yeah i mean i uh, in spurts i i kind of like the way uh brian gibbons plays he really gets to those uh he gets in hard on the forecheck and uh you know Casilia, you know gets to the front of the net and everything and he was wide open i think he could have shot the puck twice if he wanted to but uh, yeah nick ritchie got in there you know and you know nick ritchie does what nick ritchie does and you know his job is you know to you know turn the momentum in our favor and you know get in hard on the forecheck but yeah, I mean Brian Gibbons. I like him in in just kind of little moments that he does, and uh, you know I was very surprised that we it, it just looked so easy the way they did it. And uh, but I mean it was it was a good goal, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, they're not going to do that all the time, but I think it was a good effort from all of them. That's what Nick Ritchie needs to do more often is win those puck battles with his size. That's really what he's in the lineup to do. And I feel bad a little bit for Brian Gibbons because I think a lot of people have been on him this year because he's not producing at the same level he did last year, but he was given a tremendous opportunity in New Jersey to play at times with Taylor Hall. He was a go-to guy when a lot of guys were out of the lineup, and he almost had a Patrick Eves-type season when the Ducks got Patrick Eaves from Dallas, where he's playing some with some really good players. He was getting some power play time, and everything was working out for him. And, and you know, the production obviously hasn't been there this year, but I still think he's a valuable player as a fourth-line guy, like you said. I th- I think at moments he can flash a little bit of what we saw from last year. And as long as we're getting some of that, the Ducks aren't paying him too much money. So it's not, uh, it's not like it's hurting them too much.
0: No. And I, I think, you know, they, I think Ducks fans are being a little too hard on him and, you know, he only played eight and a half minutes in this game. And, you know, he's one of those guys and I, and I've always, and like I said, I brought it up earlier in the, in the show is that, you know, he's got a, if you give him more ice time, he'll get his opportunities. And, you know, when guys get more ice time, you know they start to prove prove what they're worth and everything. And I mean, hey, you know he got an assist. You know he got in those dirty areas. And you know, I mean, just give this guy a shot. But you know, the, the Ducks roster—I've always said this for years—is that it's just such a tough roster to crack. It's, it yeah.
1: really is. So there's always a lot of moving parts, and and more so this year, they've had a lot of young guys come into the lineup, and there's just been a log jam for a while with the core of this team being in place and then a lot of no-move clauses and no-trade clauses. You can't really move too many guys out, and we've already seen a lot of guys suffer from that this year. Troy Terry got sent down. He's doing amazing down there, but there really is no room for him to come up and play a meaningful role. Uh, Sam Steele got sent down. Isaac Lindstrom, Max Jones is still down there. These are guys that maybe aren't fully ready but are blocked from some of these guys in the lineup. So it, it's gonna be a tough lineup to crack for for a couple of years until the likes of, of maybe Ryan Kessler or Andrew Cogliano or at the end of this year, Jakob Silverberg move on from the team.
0: Oh yeah, I mean uh, Sam Steele, and I, I I've I've heard ducks fans, you know, say this many times, you know, and even with you know Troy Terry, which I'm not I, I'm I think he's he's a he's a good player, but he needs more time to develop. And I think the same thing with Sam Steele is that These guys are so young. And, you know, you just you have to give them time. And I think the one player where I'm giving him more time, giving him more time, is Nick Ritchie. And, you know, I'm I've never been sold on Nick Ritchie. And I think the reason why is, is that ever since I saw him get called up to the show back in the 20th anniversary season, it's just he just never impressed me. But there's those little moments where he does impress me. But yeah, for these young guys, I mean your opportunity is now. It's the same thing with you know, Kiefer Sherwood, I mean, that that guy continues to impress me game after game. Yeah.
1: So. and I think for for Nick Ritchie, the thing that's disappointing is a lot, that was kind of the last draft where that big power forward was really a mistake for a lot of teams, especially in the first round. Uh, obviously playing one tonight, and the guy who got a goal was Jake Vertanen that the Canucks took six overall in that draft. They were in the same boat, really, until this season waiting for Vertanen to kind of be anywhere close to what they expected when they draft him. The difference is for Tana is actually having a pretty good season. He's got nine goals this year. Um, but, you know, Nick Ritchie, we've all just been waiting for that. And unfortunately, I don't think that's coming because it was at the end of that wave where teams still valued that big physical power forward. It and it worked in the Western Conference. And that's what you did to win in a, in a model of the LA Kings and, you know, the, the New York Islanders are suffering with that. They had the third overall pick that year. They drafted Dal Cole, and he's come nowhere near making the NHL on a regular basis. So I think, you know, it sucks that you look back, you look at the guys who went after Nick Ritchie. That's what everybody looks at. But I think if you judge him as just a regular third-line player, he's not that bad. I, I think he produces at a level that you you're kind of okay with.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's fine for what it is. I mean he's getting paid. Um, I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, he's only getting paid a, a million six hundred forty thousand. and the next season it's like close to uh, one point five. But I mean, do I, I? I don't see him finishing. You know that in Anaheim. I just unless he just shocks all of us. But to add about Brian Gibbons, he's only getting paid a million, and I mean yeah. I think that's quite a bargain for him. But, I mean, Nick Ritchie, I really want him to kind of prove me wrong and prove everybody else wrong and everything. And, you know, and I just want to see that happen. And But, you know, I just, I don't know. We'll, we'll see.
1: <clears throat> yeah, and it's in the same point where it's kind of hard to get into the lab and it's also kind of hard to move up and take some guys out. I mean, he's not taking Ricardo Raquel's spot. He's not taking Andre Cash's spot. He's not really taking Silverberg's spot. And if the offense isn't there, I think it's going to be tough. But let's finish out the rest of the third period. The Canucks do get another goal, courtesy of Bo Horvat. I didn't know this, but apparently Nikolai Goldobin is leading the Canucks in assists with 11, which is ridiculous. He gets Bo Horvat for his 11th of the game, or at least 11th of the season. Good season for Bo Horvat so far. A a great tip, honestly. It's a great uh, high slot pass to kind of get that tip over John Gibson. Bo Horvat's a big, strong kid, too, because he's got a couple guys over him that are trying to get him to move out of the way. And he still gets a stick on that. It's a perfect deflection to the top corner.
0: Yeah, there's nothing you can do about that play, but it, this is where I kind of get to, and I've mentioned this in my videos many times, it's just the Ducks, and I, I, this is the first time ever I've seen this where we are just so soft in front of our own net. Like, regardless if there's a, a tip or you see the pass coming, and, it, and I mean, I knew as soon as he made the pass along the half wall and then made the pass right through the middle, I knew exactly when he was along along the half ball that he was going to make that pass through the middle. And yeah. the Ducks defense are just standing there flat-footed, and it's just, you know, it, it lift a stick, do something. And it just, I don't know. I It was a great play. It was a great sequence. And, you know, um, Vancouver really had us on our heels, you know, towards the last uh, two minutes of this game. And this is where it's the level of, you know, consistency by the Ducks, where it's just their, their inconsistence by just – a, such a big margin this year, and it's 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 always happening.
1: It's a lot of puck watching at times as well, and that that kind of goes on a bit here, where they're watching what Goldobin's going to do and not really covering the guy they probably should. It's gotten marginally better lately, but you still have these moments. I mean, on the power play, when you've got arguably their best player on the ice, right, right in the slot, and Bo Horvat you got to do a better job. Both defenders are late to the play in recognizing the position that Bo Horvath is in. Of course, Goldobin has the puck. He's likely going to be the open guy. Somebody has to take Bo Horvath. Somebody has to tie up his stick, push him out of the way, do something. He, I mean, he basically walks in there with his stick on the ice, doesn't get bumped, doesn't get moved, doesn't get stick-checked, and gets a free deflection to the top corner. I mean, it's a great effort, again, by him, but somebody has to be able to move him out of the way and we haven't seen that from the ducks defense all year
0: no we haven't and you know it's again it's it's that quick sequence where they're just moving the puck you know really fast and it's kind of adds it adds to what you were saying is it's that puck watching and you know not picking up your man and just kind of letting him stand there you know i remember once upon a time ago with the ducks you know uh and I and I'm going to bring him up is you know uh, you know and even yeah. Viexa you know they they got those guys out in front of the net even if they drew a penalty but at least they were being aggressive in front of our own net and I feel like with the Ducks is that they're missing that veteran presence on the back end and it's it, it's it, it's truly showing this year you know you have all of those young faces it's great and everything but I don't think anybody and this is where I get to the the lack of leadership on the back end you know yeah there's Cam Fowler and everything but I never really saw Cam Fowler as a leader. I think he's a great two-way defenseman, but I, yeah. I think that there's got to be a guy that just leads the charge, and I feel like we're missing that.
1: It's unfortunate because that is the position I thought Josh Manson would be in at this point in his career with a lot of these guys going out. He's going to be the guy who's tasked in those defensive positions. He's I, w- I don't want really to go as far as saying he's the Ducks' best defensive defenseman because I think if you look on that side of the ice, Hampus Lindholm's probably the Ducks' best defenseman, but that is the position Josh Manson should be in, where he's kind of that general of the blue line, where he's directing guys where to go, and he's kind of taking over that veteran presence on the blue line, because he is one of the older guys on the back end. Been a tough season for Josh this year, but it's disappointing more so not just the points, but that he hasn't taken over that role and really been that commanding presence and commanding voice back there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Josh needs to, you know, develop a little bit more um, in that. I mean, he played over 22 minutes in the game. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a minus one, but, I mean, you know, that doesn't matter. But I think in games, uh, even when we were playing Vegas, I mean, I missed the Josh Manson who would just – just hit the crap out of guys. And I, and I, I feel like I'm not seeing that. I feel like he's being too complacent and being too conservative back there because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself. But if you want to be that dominant defenseman and and you want to, you know, you know, put your foot down in front of your own net. I mean, you, you got to do it now, man. And he's got a, I forgot how long of a deal he has with us, but uh, I think it's uh yeah, he's got like five, it's five. Years.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's five more years. And I believe it kicks in next season, or it kicks in it kicked in this year.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it kicks in next season. So four, it's uh, four point one
1: for five. Okay.
0: Yeah. Oh, for four. My bad. For four. Okay, but he's still. Would
1: mm-hmm. to be the leader of that back end is Samus Lindholm. I think. that's we are going and he can't do it on his own and we've we've seen that already I mean he seems to be the guy that if we can make two other okay pairings we'll just shove whoever we think is the worst with Hampus Lindholm because he'll likely be able to keep him afloat a little but we saw that with uh Francois Boschman last year we saw that with Kevin BX at times so Hampus just kind of gets thrust in those positions and it's tough for a guy to do that on a nightly basis uh, I mean Hampus is one of those guys who can play 29 30 minutes a night but he needs a little bit of help. And, and I'm surprised almost that Randy Carlisle has not decided to put Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson back together and Cam Fowler and Brandon Montour. They've gone with the, the complete inverse of that, which is something we'd never seen before to start this season. I don't think any of us thought they were going to switch up the defensive pairings. The only time they were together this year was for one game earlier in the season It didn't work. The Ducks lost, and then they went right back to Lindholm, Montour, Fowler, and Manson.
0: I think that's the the main problem with, and uh, I, I'm not surprised to see Randy Carlisle make a knee-jerk reaction, you know, after something doesn't work out the first time. He's done that many times in the past, you know, even yeah. I would go as far as to say as Bruce Boudreaux did that too, when he split off Corey Perry and Ryan Getzloff for those two games, and then as soon as he saw, okay, well, they're doing well together, now we're going to put them back together, and it didn't make sense to me, but... I think with with Josh, it's just he's got to be paired with somebody, you know, who is going to lead the charge and then, you know, lead by example. And and then he's going to, you know, take charge as well. And, you know, I the whole thing with with Randy Carlisle is I just feel like when something doesn't work out, he just shuts it down and you got to give him time. You you have to. And, you know, I get it. You want them to work fast and quick, but you just got to give it time.
1: Yeah, and uh, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Hampus Lindholm can't come back until Sunday at the earliest until he comes off the IR. Cam mm-hmm. Fowler likely out for at least a few more weeks, if not more. So we're going to have to deal with uh, Josh Mahura, for, which, which isn't too bad, and that transitions a little bit into what I want to talk about for the post-game notes. So Josh Mahura picks up his first NHL point in this game, getting a little bit more responsibility on the power play as well. How... Have you been impressed with with what he's done the last two games? Are you excited to see what more he can bring to the team?
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's it's kind of like what I mentioned in the beginning part, is uh, he just needs that playing time. He just needs that playing time, and I, I think if he gets that playing time, uh, you know, because the more you play, the better you're going to be. And I think if he gets more of that, I mean, he did get quite a bit of minutes in this game. I mean, he played more than... Um, than Walensky did. He actually played 17 minutes. Uh, But I mean, so far, I mean, he's, he's, he's doing really, really well. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, he's going to have one of those games where it's going to be a learning lesson to him and he's going to learn from that. But I mean, so far, I mean, he's, he's looking pretty damn good. And I think he had four shots on net today.
1: Yeah, I believe so. He was, he, not only the shots too, but he was him and maybe Brandon Montau to some extent, we probably had the best ability to exit the Ducks' zone and then get clean zone entries themselves, and I saw that from Josh Maher in the first game too. Mm-hmm. Did the interesting? I mean, did you look at the rotation on on the left side of the Ducks defense this year. We've seen Marcus Patterson. we've seen Jakob Larson on the right side. We've seen Andy Walensky. we've seen Luke Shen, Andre Suster. Out of all of those guys, and I know it's a small sample size, it's it's two games, and like you said, we're probably going to see that rookie moment from Josh Maher coming up soon. But if you look at a two-game sample size, I've liked what I've seen from him more than I, what I've liked from seeing the other guys this year. And I think Patterson started to get a little bit better. I would put him maybe right behind that. But I think with Cam Fowler out, with Hammers Lindholm out, bringing in a puck-moving defenseman like Josh Maher has been great for this team because they really had nobody other than Brandon Montour to do that with those two out of the lineup.
0: Yeah, I mean Marcus Marcus Pedersen. I think he he's a good he's a good defenseman. He didn't play very much tonight. I, he only played thirteen minutes. But uh, yeah, Brandon Montour. I mean, he really leads the charge when it comes to him wheeling around the back of the net and then you know breaking into uh, the opposing team's zone. But I mean, so far, I mean, I, I love what I'm seeing from him. And you know, Brandon Montour had that moment, you know, that rookie mistake moment where we made the playoffs and we played Calgary and we swept them. And he didn't play very well. And even Shea, yeah. when you know he had that uh, rookie moment, where you know it's it's playoffs and it's it's tough. But you know he's gonna have it. You know he's gonna learn from it. And you know, I mean, this is where I, I feel that with the Ducks, you know, right now it's kind of like, yeah, you know, it sucks that you know we're not winning games in a, in a consistent basis. But I mean, the future for this team is it's bright. It really yeah. is.
1: They've got. A lot of pieces that takes time to build when you look at it, ricard raquel is going to be a good first line player for this team for a while some would say he's a lead it all depends on what you, de- you determine is the lead he's having a down year he's probably a consistent 60 to 70 point guy which is a big piece to have on your team and then you've got sam Steele, troy terry max jones isaac linderstrom you've got a whole top nine Establishing, and then you've got a young blue line with guys like Josh Mahur coming up, among others, they're in a good place for the future. The only thing they're really missing is a guy to replace the likes of Ryan Getzlaff, and and you don't find that very often anymore. You're probably not going to find that at the spot where you got Ryan Getzlaff last time late in the first round with how good scouting and drafting is now. doesn't happen as often where you find those great elite players further down in the first round. So, I mean, this could, if it's this year, if the Ducks are really bad this year, get a lottery pick. If it's the next few years, if it's a couple of years after Ryan Getzlaff goes out, they have that window, it almost seems like. Because a lot of these guys are under 25, under 26. They can wait three, four, five years and try and get that player and kind of move on from there and open up another window.
0: I agree. And, you know, my even my wife said to me, you know, she's like, I see this team and it's nothing against Ryan Getzloff. It's just I see this team winning the Cup once he's gone. You know, yeah. I see after tw- the 2021 season after he's gone, unless he signs a, a one-year deal, um, I see, you know, just a young group of kids, you know, and it's going to remind me a lot of, even though there was a lot of, probably more older guys on the 03 team. I mean, it's going to be a really young group. It's, and I it's going to be a fast group, and I think it's going to look great. And, um, yeah, I mean, the leadership role, I mean, not having Ryan Getzloff there, and it's, it's, it's definitely going to show. But I feel like when this team is without Ryan Getzloff, I feel like they they play at their best, you know, because they know that they got to step up into that role because they're without one of their key guys in the lineup.
1: It'll be interesting to see how this team maybe not plays, but organizes themselves when Ryan Getzlaff is no longer a part of this franchise. And, of course, that's looking farther down the road than I think we really can at this point, but it'll be a completely different atmosphere and environment in that locker room, something we haven't seen for a very long time because, obviously, Ryan Getzlaff has been here for his entire career. It'll be interesting not only to see who gets the captaincy, but how they kind of carry themselves when he's not there.
0: Oh, absolutely. I I mean... And you know, like I, to add what I was just saying is, is you know, even though I sound like a broken record, is just, I, I I loved it when this team would would play without him because it would show you know some of the, some of the the, the defects in our game, but also the how the young kids would just thrive, and yeah. how they would get more ice time and everything, and, you know, it's, it, I mean. This season, I, I don't see us getting down to that lottery pick. I, I don't see us getting down all the way, you know, as I say in my videos, to the basement. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I see us, you know, finishing um, probably like third or fourth in the division. You know, I mean, if we do get into the playoffs, I, I think it's going to be, which is, you know, a long shot. It's going to be, you know, a first round exit. You know, and I know a lot of Ducks fans who are wa- probably watching the show right now are not very happy with that answer, but <laughs> I'm looking at the, just the realistic picture of this team. And it's like, I would rather have us not make the playoffs and not get our, ke- our, our teeth kicked in like we did last season and just build upon it, you know, retool everything, maybe clean house and, you know, kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, Bob Murray said that um, at the end of last season, or maybe I think it was even before the playoffs, where he was talking about Florida and how he was talking to their GM, Dale Talon down there and saying how in, they only missed out uh, by one point, Florida did, and the Ducks didn't have many more points than Florida did, but how much better position Florida was in because now they get that 16 or 15 pick. And since the Ducks made the playoffs, they get around 22-21, but they didn't really finish in a, really a different spot. The Ducks won no games in the playoffs last year. So it, it, it's there's the, the age-old phrase, if you get in, you have a chance to win. But it doesn't really feel like that with this Ducks team this year. It definitely feels like I think they could make the playoffs because I think a lot of these teams, Vancouver included, are going to eventually tail off a bit. Mm-hmm. but. You look at the, the not just the elite teams in the Pacific Division, but the elite teams in, in the Western Conference in general. It's a tough road for the Ducks to make it there, and it would have to be some outstanding goaltending from John Gibson. That a lot of players would have to get hot at the right time. Um, let's move on to the next topic. This one was something interesting because I didn't see this until later today, uh, but Elliot Friedman said that it sounds like Pittsburgh tried to get its hands on Brandon Montour from Anaheim, but the Ducks really weren't interested. That's a little bit surprising because it, there was a rumor that the Ducks were looking for defensemen. I think it was Elliott Friedman as well earlier uh, last week tweeted out that after the Penguins made the trade with, uh, with L.A. for Pearson for Hagelin, that they might be working out something with the Ducks as well. Did not think that was going to be Brandon Montour. but I don't even know what kind of package that would have looked like.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I I know that Pittsburgh are are starting to become sellers right now, and I did not see that coming with – I know there was a lot with the William Nylander situation, and I know a lot of Ducks fans are raging about that uh, just because they're like, oh, well, they're looking to put the blame on Brandon Montour. Well, I, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's just we have a lot of very young talent on the back end, and we're looking at, okay, if we make a move now, what could we get in return? So I think that they're just kind of playing with the idea and 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 not, you know, pulling the trigger fully on it. But really, yeah, I mean, I really wonder what that deal could have looked like, Um, especially if it's if it was Brandon Montour or possibly Nick Ritchie or uh, a pick. I don't know. I mean, it's I have no idea, but I mean, it's it's interesting.
1: Yeah, I I really don't know who the Ducks could have been targeting, but you bring up an interesting point about Pittsburgh being sellers. They're almost in a similar spot with their record and how they've been playing as of late with the Ducks. Eric Stevens put out an interesting article where he looked at who the Ducks could trade this year if things continue to get worse, and he flew about the idea that maybe the Ducks are sellers. What do you think of that? aspect? Because I think in the case of Jakob Silverberg the Ducks might be sellers, but what if you're talking about maybe Brandon Montour or Nick Ritchie or Adam Henrique or Andrew Cogliano? Do you think the Ducks are going to be sellers at the deadline the way they're playing right now?
0: I mean, if if recent years have told me anything where I do think the Ducks are going to be sellers and then there's going to be times where you know uh, I don't think they do anything, then they end up doing something. Um, I've been surprised on both ends, but I think the main big thing that always kind of pops into my brain is that I think that they're going to be sellers when it comes to Jakob Silverberg. And I think that that, I, for some reason, you know, I, I, I appreciate everything that, you know, Jakob Silverberg did for this organization. And I, and I think he's a great postseason guy, but he just, for some reason in the first half of the season, he just kind of, he doesn't really do very much. And, and, you know, yes, he gets assists, and, you know, sometimes he scores goals here and there, but he's a second-half player. Yeah. And I've noticed that more and more since we got him, you know, um, in that Bobby Ryan trade. And, um, you know, I, I see them being sellers towards Jakob Silverberg over Brandon Montour just because his contract is coming up.
1: Yeah, and the, the, the thing with Jakob Silverberg is we've been waiting, I think, for that, Potential. We've, we've always heard about the shot and how he's such a great release. And he's a guy, if he could figure some things out, probably could score 30 goals in this league. But we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And now Jakob Silverberg is on the wrong side of 25. He's in, he's in his late 20s now, and that's likely not going to happen anymore. He's in a position where he's on a pretty good contract with what type of production and defensive ability you get from him now. Ducks are probably not going to be able to re-sign him. Similar situation, in a sense, to Nick Palmieri when the Ducks had him. Knew they weren't going to be able to re-sign him. Moved him on for some assets and recouped from there. Seems like a similar situation to the Ducks. I can't really see a situation where they would consider keeping him. uh, Even if they were in a favorable spot playoff-wise at the deadline, I I just don't think Bob Murray's the type of GM that wants to lose a guy for nothing. And when you look at... You know, a guy we'll talk about in a couple minutes here, Troy Terry, yeah. and how he's doing in San Diego. You have those options that you can promote guys and maybe get the same type of production or more if the the confidence is there for those guys, and then you you get some assets for Silverberg and move on.
0: Absolutely, and I, I think where they're going to pull the trigger right away with Jakob Silverberg is is because he's he's an unrestricted free agent, not a restricted free agent. Yeah. And He's getting paid. Uh, I think it's like three million seven hundred fifty thousand. I think, and yeah, um, he's gonna want something upwards. I'm gonna say over five million or even six. I mean, it, as the cap goes up, you know, it's uh, you know players want more money. And I mean, right now, I mean his stats. I mean, he's a minus two. He's got five goals, six assists. He's got eleven points, and he's played eighteen games. Um, yeah, I mean I I think when it boils down to with Jakob Silverberg it's just he's 28 years old, he's getting towards 30 and I mean it's yeah, I mean he would I mean Bob Murray would really be stupid, you know, not to sell him for something um for some type of big player, not a rental but somebody who could take that place or even just pick up a veteran somewhere. But yeah. uh I and that's another thing I wonder. I wonder if even Jakob Silverberg was on the table with Pittsburgh
1: that's uh, possible I think I think Elliot Friedman brought that up right he speculated that maybe Silverberg would be a guy who would fit their profile because he mentioned that 41 of their last of their 46 goals this year have come out of their top six so they could desperately use a guy that could go down to their top nine you, you likely on their right side you would have Kessel, Hornquist, and Silverberg That could be something they explore maybe later on. I I think the Ducks probably hold out to him in the deadline. You probably get more uh, for him at the deadline when teams go after maybe the big fish like Artemi Panarin or, or others. And if those guys go off the market, there'll be a scramble for Jakob Silverberg, similar to how there was a scramble for Thomas Tatar last year. And look what Vegas got for him. I would argue Jakob Silverberg's not too much of a different player in comparison. I don't think the Ducks are going to get a first, second, and third round pick. But no. uh, there there is a, a likely possibility he gets moved. The one guy I want to mention, this guy we brought up earlier, is a guy who come up and replace him, is Troy Terry. I haven't looked at the stats updated, but as of the end of the second period for the goals game, he had another goal and an assist. That puts him at a 10-game point streak since joining the san diego goals he's got 15 points in those 10 games couldn't hope for a better start to his ahl career than what he's done so far
0: yeah and you know i said the same thing about nick ritchie when he when he got called down and he was tearing it up in san diego and i don't really follow the san diego goals i just kind of get the updates here and there you know on like how guys are doing in the american hockey league but um yeah i mean you just got to give them time you got to give them time to develop i mean the kid i mean he's like i think he's what is he like 21 22 years old i think something he's like that. turning 21 this year yeah yeah and i mean he's he's a great player yeah he's only 21 and uh, i mean we have him for the next two seasons and i mean he's getting paid nine hundred twenty five thousand, but i mean if, and he's a restricted free agent after the 2020 21 season and he's another guy that could definitely come up and step in that role. It's just you give him that time to develop in the American Hockey League, call him up here and there whenever you know whenever somebody goes down and just kind of see how he does and kind of evaluate it from there.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, we're, running, we're running almost an hour, so let's move into the fan questions and get everything closed out here. So we had a, a few different ones. Uh, we'll start with Reddit. We had MC4618 on Reddit. Who wants to know? Has Getzlaff's leadership this season been enough, or does he have more to give?
0: Um, I mean, I think it's about. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say it's, it's about. One. Yeah, I mean, it's about the same. I mean, I, I don't see it. I mean, it, he definitely could give a little bit more. I think he. I think he has in. I would say when we made that Western Conference final run against Nashville, and you know, we kind of. Uh, you know, put some doubts into other people's minds and, you know, we proved a lot of people wrong, but I mean, this season, I mean, I really don't know because I I don't know if it's a lack of leadership or it's behind the bench or it's the, in, in internally in the organization, but yeah, I mean, of course he can give more, but yeah, I mean, I really don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I, I hate kind of blaming on, on his leadership and it's not really a measurable quality you can really say it's really an intangible and everybody's going to have a different opinion on how Getzlaff is leading this team at this point it all depends again how much you blame the Ducks struggles either on coaching or the players or, or on the captain It it's a it's a case-by-case kind of analysis when you look at it like most people right now would probably say it's Randy Carlisle's fault but there are people who say it's Ryan Getzlaff's fault there are people who say the players aren't putting in enough effort I, I think it's hard to judge that because everybody's going to have a different opinion of what kind of leader Getzlaff is, and there's going to be people who just are, are predisposed to not liking Ryan Getzlaff for for whatever reason. And there's no there's no issue with that, but it's hard to judge his leadership capability because we can't just look at something and say, "Oh, this is how he stacks up with other leaders," and this is how he was leading the team last year compared to this year. It, it's hard to to really judge that.
0: Right, and you know I. I, I agree with, um, there's a really good article on NHL NBC where they actually talk about the ducks. And I firmly believe that it's, it's more than just what's going on with Randy Carlisle. I, I believe it's something that's internal in, within the organization. And I feel like Getzloff was a late bloomer when it came to his captaincy. Okay. I, I felt that when he took on the captaincy role, he kind of got thrown into it after Scotty left and, you know, once he took it on, I feel like he didn't really know how to handle certain situations. And I feel like once we had the 10 year celebration, when we won the cup and all that, he just kind of took off and became that leader. But as of late, I mean, I think he's doing everything he possibly can. I mean, there's really nothing more that he could possibly do, do more. So, yeah,
1: I don't really know what he could do. Um, Let's move on to we got another question on Instagram from Sire from the Shire. Uh, one we get pretty much asked on a, a, a episode basis. It's what would be your ideal line combinations if everyone was healthy and back in the lineup. So that's Patrick Eves and Corey Perry, and then of course Hampus Lindholm and Cam Fowler.
0: Um,
1: or just who? Where? Where? Make it easier so you don't have to. So we don't have to think of every player. Where would you slot? Corey Perry and Patrick Eves at this point into the lineup as it's currently constituted?
0: I mean, I would put Patrick Eves, I mean, I think Patrick Eves should be on the third line. I think Corey Perry should either be a third or fourth line guy. I think with the the state and the state of Patrick Eves, I think he is that's where he could fit. And especially yeah. kind of lead the charge with those young guys, especially if they're in the lineup. Um, Corey Perry, I mean, it's, you can't go back to the whole Getzloff, Corey Perry thing. You just can't do it anymore. It's not, it's not the early years anymore, but I would say, um, Eves on the third and, uh, Perry on the fourth.
1: Yeah. I I think unfortunately what it means is you look at who's in the lineup and, and you mentioned the fact that it's hard to crack this lineup, who is likely to go down, Cali Costler is obviously the, the first option of who's going to go down. And unfortunately, the other guy is, is probably key sure. Sherwood, just because it's an easy fix for him to go down. He's waiver exempt. You just send him down. You don't have to worry about it. Everybody else, you're going to have some kind of issue with. You're probably not going to send down Brian Gibbons and lose him for nothing through waivers. Uh, you're not really going to bench anybody else, whether it's Richie Cogliano, Kessler, Henrik, anybody. Pontus Ebrig is an interesting option, but the way he's been playing as of late, I think he's definitely earned a spot on this roster. And as he showed tonight, he can also go from the right side to the left side, which is invaluable to this organization. So I, I think that's the that's the difficult thing right now is you're going to lose some good players when these guys come back. Um, it's hypothetical, of course, but Corey Perry won't be back until the new year, so we don't really have to worry about that for for the foreseeable future. We have no idea if everybody's going to be healthy at that point, but it's a tough spot for, for guys like Kiefer Sherwood to be in because, honestly, this goals team might be just stuck with those players down in the AHL for the entire season, which isn't a bad thing, but uh, it'll be hard for them to crack any any of the lineup.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and this is where, like, and I remember when they did it to Antoine Vermette, Uh, and, uh, they healthy scratched him, you know, because there was other guys who were producing the lineup. And I feel like, you know, even if guys like Corey Perry and Patrick Eves come back and you got guys like Kiefer Sherwood, or you you call up Troy Terry, um, or you call up Sam Steele. And if those guys are producing, then why are you going to put those older guys in the lineup? I get it. The veteran leadership role and all that, but if they're producing, then why are you going to go bot? Why are you going to mess with that and tinker with that? There's yeah. You, that's not a good coaching decision. And I remember for a lot of years when, you know, Bruce Boudreau did that and Randy Carlisle did that and it never wor- worked out. They're like, well, they're the veterans. Well, it doesn't work that way. If they're proving their spot, like, you know, Kiefer Sherwood is doing, leave it alone. Yeah.
1: And, and the last question we have, uh, we have a couple more, but I think we're running a little late. So we'll go with the, this last one. Cause it kind of touches on that topic. Maxim Comtois tonight played in the last game he's eligible to play on his injury loan down to San Diego. Mm -hmm. Now the ducks have to make the option or to make the choice of either bringing him back up to the team or sending it back to junior. And you look at probably who's been the most productive rookie this year when they've been in the lineup. It's been Maxime Comtois. He had two goals in three games down in San Diego. Well, I mean, it's a tough choice to be in right now because he probably deserves to play. But is it more beneficial to play him on a third or fourth line than it would be to send him back down to junior for the rest of the year, and then he would also play Will Juniors as well?
0: I mean, I probably would go... I mean, this it really is tough because he has produced a lot, and especially for this team, is um, I probably wouldn't kind of bite the bullet and send him back to junior because yeah. I think the development and just having him playing the world juniors I think would be so important for him and and you know that way he gets more playing time and because I think at this at this point of the season and the way that I just have the season mapped out in my head it's kind of a lost cause and if you bring him back and somehow he gets hurt again and then it just it just spirals out of control and I think it's better if he goes back to juniors and and does it that way so yeah, I, I think so.
1: It's a tough decision to be in, but when you look at the fact that, you know, you're going to have these guys coming back in the lineup and we were already even talking about having to send Kiefer Sherwood or uh, Kelly Kossela down, Maxim Comtois was playing really well, but he was also playing at, a, I think, an unsustainable level when you look at the shooting percentage that he had and the positions he was kind of being put in. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be given those positions anymore where you look at how other guys are playing. They can't, you know... Are they going to plug him right back with Henrik and Jakob Silverberg? If that's the case, then maybe he should stay up. But then what do you do with Pontus Averg, who's been doing great since Maxim Comtois' absence? I I would rather see him go back to junior, dominate, get an experience of being a leader on Canada's World Junior team this year. Uh, I think that would be a great experience for him. Maybe it's not the best place for him to be for his development, but at this point, I think nothing's going to hurt and he's one of the younger guys. When you look at the fact that we, you know, Troy Terry, Sam Steele, Max Jones, they're all a year older than him. He'll go to junior, develop, and then be able to make that decision next year if he's going to play for the Ducks and play for San Diego.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I just think at the end of the day, it's the right move for yeah. the organization as a whole. So I, I think that's what they should do.
1: So let's close it out here, look at the next three games for the Ducks. They play Edmonton on Friday, the matinee game, at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific time, Nashville on Sunday, and Tampa Bay on Tuesday. How do you think the Ducks are going to do in these next three games?
0: I mean, I see them beating the Oilers, but then again, I've been surprised before. It's probably you have two. But yeah, Nashville, and then you're facing one of the best teams in the East, um, Tampa Bay, that's going to be tough. And, you know, Nashville, I mean, I know that they're probably, you know, out for blood this next game yeah. because of how it went the last game. And, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it could either go really south where we go 0 3, but I, I see us taking at least one out of those three games. I see us beating the Oilers, getting beat by Nashville, and then Tampa Bay. But, yeah, the road trip coming up, it's, it's ugly. It's, it's going to be tough.
1: Yeah, it's a difficult, difficult four-game road trip against Nashville, Tampa Bay, Florida, Carolina, and that Tampa Bay, Florida one is a, a back-to-back. So it's going to be a tough last week in November for the Ducks. So we're going to close out the show now. Um, how about you tell everybody where they can find your videos on YouTube at Anaheim Ducks Fan Reaction and what it's about too.
0: Um, you can find it on uh, on YouTube, uh, and it's under Coach Zach Ray and uh basically what it's about is is that i do a fan reaction video after every single ducks game you know we walk walk through the game kind of like what we just did and uh it's kind of like a comedy special a little bit and uh just kind of like the way i feel about the team you know and i'm realistic about my opinions and you know you're welcome to comment and everything but yeah definitely you know subscribe and uh you know anytime i make a new video you know hit the bell notification and uh You know, part of the reason why I started—not part of, but most of the reason why I started it was just because I I felt like there, a lot of ducks fans. You know, we kind of there's just too much fluff when we just kind of you know got to get down to brass you know brass tacks about everything and talk about the facts and everything. So, but uh, no, it's it's growing, and uh, you know, definitely I would love for you know everybody to be a part of it, especially if you're a big ducks fan. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's what's been great lately. I think with a lot of what ducks content creators have focused on like what we do on the podcast and what with you with you do with your your show on YouTube is that everybody's kind of being critical of the team and, and getting down you know getting it out the fluff and getting down to the brass tacks and and really focusing on the issues with this team no matter how what side you're on if it, even if it's a negative look at the team I think you have to kind of do that and I think that's what a lot of fans are looking for and something I don't think they really get necessarily from the team when you look at a lot of the content they put out of course it's coming from the organization. So they kind of have to be from that, that mindset and that viewpoint, but it's tough to look at it all the time and and the ducks lose. Like when they lost seven games in a row and you look at all this positive content coming out and you're, you're sitting here, well, you know, the fans feel completely different by that. And and I think that's, what's great about your videos. And I think another thing that's great, because, because I love watching them when they come out is it's, it's a nice difference from what we have right now is it's, it's a nice little short summary of it and you have that humor in there which I think is great cuz the different thing from what we do is is for us it's right now or even over an hour now it's a long podcast and that's not always for everybody and now you've got these great videos that are a little bit shorter summaries and they like you said they're edited and they have the humor in it which I think is great.
0: Oh, I appreciate that and uh, no I just you know there's there's a lot of people who have subscribed and everything and they they've said you know I I it's great because when I don't watch the game, I can watch this and it's a quick little summary. And, you know, I, you, you're helping me understand the game and, you know, that's a lot of, you know, what my job is on a day to day basis. You know, I coach youth hockey for a living and, you know, I played hockey for, you know, 28 years and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I just didn't know how to start it. And then once I started, it just kind of took off. So, but uh, no, I, I appreciate the, uh, the feedback for sure.
1: All right. Well, that's going to come to the end for our show. Um, as Zach said, make sure you check out uh, a Ducks fan reaction on YouTube. Check out Zach on Twitter at, at CoachZachGray. Check us out on out Twitter at AtForEveryMoneyFM. Subscribe to both YouTube channels and hit the bell notification so you know when Zach's videos go up and when we go live. And we'll be back uh, for Friday's show with the Oilers. That will likely be a show with either me or me and Pat or Pat and a special guest. Still working that out. Jason, I believe, uh, has beer league hockey again, so he won't be on the next show. But uh, stay tuned for that. All right, thanks, everybody.